0: everyone and welcome to Man Up, the UK men's mental health podcast. My name is Andy Richardson and sitting opposite me is the very zen-like Tommy Danquah.
1: So how have you been? (laughs) (laughs) Moving swiftly on. Well, as you can see from my zen-like appearance, I've been looking after myself. Yes. I've been yoguring. Yes, is that, is that a word? Yoga.
0: So you mentioned this before. So tell us about the 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 yoga thing. So uh, it's uh, it's it's something you're getting quite into now, isn't well,
1: it? Yeah, I um, like I said, you know, I think last week I said I had a bit of a wobble, yeah, been through it, and um, I'm just so, I'm just so, I'm adamant that I'm just going to get better. I want to be better, healthy body, healthy minds, and um. Yeah, I've basically taken the yoga practice out of the front room in my house into a proper studio. Yeah, and so what? So what specifically do you think it is
0: the benefits of yoga to you? What What, what, what do you think yoga could off, offer people apart from being able to do the splits?
1: Okay, well, well, you just cross off number one because that's that the is, most important thing. That's in life, the key isn't thing it? in life. If you can't do the splits, who are you? <laughs> yeah, go on. it Ah, uh, a whole host of it. Um, just mentally, the sort of the calming of your mind, the you know, the relaxation. Yeah, it's amazing. It gives, you, it gives me sort of a clarity and a, almost like a self belief. It, yeah. It's amazing. I can't quite put it into words, but it's it's lovely. The physical aspect of it as well, like yeah, you know. I feel like I'm quite fit. I don't know if I mentioned it. Uh, I've, I've done a bit of boxing. <laughs> no, yes, you have mentioned <laughs> it.
2: God <laughs> believe
1: me. Anyway, carry on. Come but, on. But um, like, uh, you know, I think I've I've taken some photographs, but um, you know, we we Andy and I, you I will post this up because Andy and I were doing a plank off and then uh sitting, seeing if we could sit cross-legged, which um, you know, I can't sit cross-legged. I'm so yeah, tight and yeah. And I've got a body of an 80-year-old, you know, when it right. comes to flexibility. So just that, the sort of getting in touch again with your body and feeling it opening up and stretching out. And yeah. it's just lovely. And also just being around like-minded people because it's really nice having that quiet time at home. But being around other people who are sort of on a similar path and, you know, you can see they're getting the benefits from it. And even at the end when you just you lie down and... And the instructor's just going through some really nice yeah relaxation with you, you know you just, you just, I drift away, I drift away, and I sort of come back and I just feel like a completely different person
0: so so not only is it doing your your body some good, some good but the bra- the breathing because you connect the the, the <sighs> The 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 body movements with the breath, don't like you unlocking innit?
1: chakras? I've got no idea what it means, but it feels good. Yeah, it, like it feels sh- 80, really
0: good. It's an 80s thing, isn't it? Chakra. Khan, Chakra. Khan. Sorry,
3: everybody, Chakra. <laughs> sorry, terrible. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, no. I've I've heard a lot about the chakras actually. There's there's about nine of them, isn't there? And they all go up in. In, you know, all in different
1: parts of your body. Got and, no and idea, go, mate, yeah, anyway. I've no idea, mate. Anyway, I've heard it's an important thing to know. Yeah. But listen, here's what I want to do. Um, yep. I want us to go and do a session together, and we will go and speak to Amy okay. at Yoga Collective UK about the importance of like, you know, how good it is for your body and your mind. I think it's great. So
0: the the challenge is on, yeah. It's on. You
1: know, I thought, you know, you don't want to do boxing, did you? So (laughs) maybe maybe a yoga challenge. It's definitely not for me. (laughs) Maybe a yoga challenge. Well,
0: I actually went to a yoga teacher once and I said to to him, um, can you teach me how to do the splits? And he said to me, well, how flexible are you? And I said, well, I can do Tuesdays and Thursdays. (laughs) <laughs> anyway <laughs> so, sorry so, sorry that's an old one it's an, old, right. it's an, it's an oldie but goody it's a
1: great one well so so yes i are flexible yes how have you been
0: yeah well i've I've dabbled a little bit in in yoga my, myself i've been because my gym uh does a little bit of yoga but it's not like bespoke stuff so it's i think it's a bit of a sort of low level stuff. still good um but you know Talking of the breathing and the mindfulness, you know, like the breath and moving the body. um, One thing that we've mentioned a fair bit, but not really discussed in detail is meditation and mindfulness. Mm. That is something that we look, I think personally is one of the best things that anyone can do, even if you've not got a mental health problem. It's one of the best things you can do. In life, to sort of try and navigate your w- way for a very crazy world that we're living in at the moment, yeah um and I have tried it quite a lot i mean i've done an, I did an eight week mindfulness um, stress reduction course at the Mindfulness project, uh, which was fantastic after doing that course while whilst doing that course uh, and it and it addresses a lot of areas in your life, like you know even how mindful you are at eating you know like. But, you know, a lot of us, when we eat, we 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 we're looking at TV or a phone. We're not appreciating the fact that that food is there in front of us and digesting Grant, it properly. Basic gratitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the middle of that course, by weeks five or six, I was feeling absolutely on top of the world. I was feeling great, and it's I I think it was no coincidence that 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 course really was great. And 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 I try and meditate every day. Yeah. Uh, the success of that meditation varies like a lot. So there might be times where I'll sit down for sometimes 20 minutes, half an hour, and I'll be so distracted. All I'll be thinking about is what's going on later that, that day. And to be honest, the quality of it is absolute crap. I might sit down sometimes for five minutes and really, you know, really feel something about But the important thing is to keep doing it, I think, you know. It's,
1: it's definitely something you need to practice, isn't it? Because yeah. I remember mean, when I first tried meditation, like you said, I, I, everywhere, every noise I heard, every, someone looking at me, like it's almost like you so your mind races as well. Yeah. Thinking about what I'm having for dinner later on. Exactly, I? exactly. It's not easy.
0: Yeah, and, and there's been a lot of studies uh, about the, the sort of um, – effectiveness of mindfulness and the effectiveness of meditation and there has been clinical studies showing how that it not only is it beneficial it actually rewires your brain like you can actually overcome serious sort of mental problems by doing this on a regular basis so I think it's so important that our listeners um get a grasp of this so talking of which We've got a little treat for the listeners that, you know, we're we, we are talking about meditation and mindfulness. And, but let's face it. Semi-pros, th- aren't we? We know jack shit, really, Semi-pros, don't we? semi mate. But we have got <laughs> a, a real-life mindfulness and meditation coach, practitioner with us. Um, now, this gentleman, I uh, I was looking – I wanted to find somewhere locally to me. I live in Sydenham. I wanted to find somewhere lo- locally to me – that practice mindfulness. So I looked it up online, and upcropped um Bromley Mindfulness. And uh is a little bit of a way away, but they but they do a thing every Saturday morning um at 10 o'clock for an hour in uh, Beckenham Place Park. Um there's an old Georgian is it a Georgian mansion? Yeah, there's an old Georgian mansion there, a beautiful space um with lovely high ceilings where um they do the class which is amazing. Um, and the coach, uh, who is uh, Robert Mitchell, he uh, not only runs that; he runs classes in Bromley, he runs classes in Dulwich, he runs classes. Um, he also does a um, a podcast himself, a a rival podcast. No, not a rival at all. No, not a rival at all. He does he does a podcast himself called um, the the Restful Mind, which is well worth looking at. We'll plug that a bit later on. But what we really want to do. Uh, sorry, so, the other reason I thought it'd be great to get him in is because he's a man and this is a men's mental health podcast. He's
1: ticking all the boxes, Yeah, isn't He is ticking, ticking all, the bo- all the boxes.
0: And also, he, also he's got a story um, of how he got to that point. Um, so, without further ado, let's welcome our special guest this week, Robert Mitchell.
4: Right. Hi, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming.
0: That's all right. It's how are you doing? Yeah.
4: I'm doing fine. How about you?
0: We're doing wonderful. We're, we're, we're very glad that you're you're on today, um, and I hope um, our listeners can 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 learn learn some stuff. Um, Roberts agreed uh, at the end of this later on to actually do a, a little session for us all. So um, get yourself comfortable, listeners. Get yourself on a nice chair or uh, in bed or whatever. And um, at the end of this, we're, we're going to have a little session, which is. Uh, which I'm I'm looking forward to. So um so Robert I was going to ask you about your background. So um obviously you none of us are born mindfulness coaches or, or so how did you how did you come to the point where you know th- this is something that you do as as a as a sort of living
4: so that that's an interesting one. Um I first started meditating back in 1988. Uh, I was doing a martial art called Kung Fu and I became interested in everything Eastern. So I started growing bonsai. I'm, it, it, they need daily tending, so I discovered. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got none of the original bonsai left. Um, and I also learned, tried to learn to meditate. And, and the reason I wanted to meditate was I wanted my mind to be calm and still and clear like a mountain pool, right? Who doesn't want their mind to be calm and still and clear? So I started meditating and I only came away with one practice, which is a a practice that I use to help me get to sleep. And I sometimes still use that now. So there I am, this is a background practice. Every every so often uh, I would meditate Let's say it's a nice sunny day and you're sitting on a hillside. I'd, I'd do a, a meditation that I couldn't normally use because my mind was too crowded uh, and I'd relax. And it was kind of in mood enhancement on one side and sleep management on the other. 2009, I was in a high pressure job. Yet again, I've always been a bit of a people pleaser, so I you know, is there a volunteer to take on Project X where Project X is the project that nobody else wants and Robert would put his hand up. Uh, And so there I was uh, in yet more stress and I was in Waterstones in Blue Water, this mega mall where, where people go to switch their brains off for an hour or two while they indulge in retail therapy. And I picked up a book called The Power of Now. Have either of you guys read it? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it. Um, oh, yeah. 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 But, but
0: what's his name? The, uh, the Eckhart Toller. Eckhart That's
4: it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, um, it, it's, it's like Marmite. You either love it or hate it. You won't get past chapter three or it will be life changing and it varies from person to person. So anyway, I picked it up and it blew my mind. So I took it home and then what it did was it changed my perspective on meditation to become something that I could be present with, learn to live in the present moment, because I was aware that there was just a constant stream of ifs and shoulds and wants and needs and can'ts and mustn'ts and so on going on in my mind. Uh, so I, I, I started delving into my meditation practices. Uh, however, it, it's, it's a reasonably long game meditation in itself. Uh, you you know, you don't get the instant benefits. And what happened was that the stress grew and one day I couldn't go into work. Uh, I was sitting in my living room and I'd just become, and I've done a bit of research into this now, and this is utterly typical. It's a thing called burnout. And it, it, most of the time it express, it, it, appears as anger so I was just angry I was angry with the world I was angry with the the people that I was working with uh, and I couldn't go in so I phoned the HR team up explained that and then I went to the doctors and he suggested that I do some counseling so I went along met this very nice young lady who asked me lots of impertinent questions about my mum and dad. And I said, okay, so now I've got to get back to work. What to do? (laughs) And she said, oh, well, you know, we've, we've got to unravel all of the things that are causing you to be as stressed as you are, and that could go back many years. So, you know, come back next week for another hour and another 50 quid. So I went home and I sat down and I decided... But what I was going to do was to understand what's happening in my mind and, and why I felt like this and why I was responding like this. So a couple of weeks later, I went into work. I concluded that I needed to change the environment. at the end of about sort of six months or so, I handed my notice in. I set up as an independent management consultant and. I've been working independently ever since. And I really dug into my meditation practice because as a way of understanding your own mind, this, this is it. It, it. You know, you, you can r- look at all the diagrams and read all the books that you like, but your mind is your mind, and the only way to understand it is to become familiar with it. And that's what meditation does. Uh, So I'd been doing that for uh, two or three years with a great deal of success. I was calmer. I was more relaxed. I felt capable of coping. And a couple of friends asked me if I could teach them to meditate. So I started, they'd come around on a Thursday night. I think this was in 2013. And I'd teach meditation. And they brought some more friends and they, they said, look, you're good at this. What you should do is there's a church room just around the corner. Why don't you hire that? And we'll come along there and you can invite the general public. So here I am five years later. I've taught 5,000 students in nearly 2,000 sessions. I, I teach groups where people come back over and over again. I've got about 6 or 700 students gone through my six week courses I teach at organisations of all sorts global brands local businesses third sector I've taught at Darent Valley Hospital since 2014 <clears throat> and of course it isn't for me it isn't just teaching other people that's a really important part of it but What I get is a really important feedback from them in their experiences. And so I've learned that the teacher always learns more in a nutshell. doesn't matter what you do. If you're a good teacher, you'll teach a session and you'll come away with something. So you learn more. So I've learned more about myself. I've learned more about my fellow citizens. I've learned more about our minds and our suffering and and that's why I'm here
0: yeah I mean I've been well I've been to um a few of your classes and and they're great and um what strikes me is you're very yeah you're very knowledgeable about all sorts of aspects and and you know you know to to the the fine detail why certain things are why the mind works in certain ways and that so must have taken a lot of sort of research on your part I guess is that has that been a like sort of long journey for you
4: yeah, so I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a bit of a rare beast because before I started teaching mindfulness, I worked in IT and what I'd done is, I didn't realize it was an unusual thing until I was in the industry, but I taught myself computer programming, C++ programming. So I you know, just sat down at a computer one day and said, I'm going to learn C++. And I am pretty unique. I, I haven't met anybody else who's taught themselves. Everybody else has come from a computer science degree. Uh, and so I think what that means is that I'm capable of useful, independent research. And so I started off as a computer programmer, junior programmer, senior software development manager and director of a big data company basically. So throughout all of that, it's all about learning. It's all about encountering experiences and being determined to understand what it means. But I, I've got the privilege of being able to share that with a group of people who trust me, which is my student base. You know, we've got, I've got a lot of regular students come along to a lot of the classes. Uh, and and I can speak openly to them, and, and I can say, so I experience this when I do this meditation. What do you experience? And so, what we're getting is a, a the most important thing for learning, which is destructive feedback. Now, this is uh, let's say you want to be a piano player. The best thing is to have a strict Austrian piano teacher who's going to hit you on the knuckles with a ruler every time you get your scales wrong, because And when we're talking about our inner experience, what we want is the destructive feedback where other people say, well, hang on a second. No, that's not what I experience. So I'm able to learn the commonalities, the things that are common to many of us.
0: So this anger that you had, because I know you've mentioned before that (laughs) you used used to be like the the sort of really angry white van man. Yes, yes. um, how has how, 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 how have you been able to, because there, there'll be a lot of men listening to this yeah. and, and anger is a big thing for men. You know, that's their, that's their, they bottle things up. That is their way of expressing, getting things out rather than talking it's about stuff. It's a default
1: stuff. setting for a lot of men, isn't it? Yeah. Anger, because we, you know, we, yeah. we can't find the way to communicate properly. So yes. what do we do? We have an outburst. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So how, yeah. So, so how has mindfulness like addressed your anger and how can it address other people's anger? And did yeah.
1: you drive a white van?
4: I, back in the day. Oh, yeah, right. in a so, previous so like, life. So
1: computer, you were you know, doing programming. Yeah. In a previous life. There yeah, yeah. Go.
4: In a previous life, oh, I was hey. a van, van driver. It's, it's, best, it's best that we don't go back too far <laughs> okay. into my shady past. Okay. <laughs> All right,
0: we won't. We won't.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, was, um, I, I did it for about three years. Yeah. If you've if you, if you got a thing about va- white van drivers, the DPD driver came and they've got an app and it says, you know, Duran is on his 100th delivery today and your number 111, he'll be with you shortly. Yeah. <laughs> that says it all. Yeah. And it's, it was pouring with rain. So, yeah, it, it's a default setting. I, I had a couple of Lithuanian, I think it was Lithuanian students. Uh, excuse me if I got it wrong. There's a saying there which is hide your sadness with an angry face. And what it, what it means is what it says. And this is what we do. Because as a man, unfortunately, because of our culture, anger's acceptable. Sadness isn't. And so what happens is we, all of, all of the other emotions, you very clearly clarified. There's, there's two things that we do, basically. One is bottle, bottle it. And the other is brood. And I was actually proud of what I called my mental dustbin and in there had gone all of these experiences almost died in a bike crash when I was about 20 I lost my first wife after 11 months she died in my arms I I lost my parents the whole thing was bottled up because I just got on with it I, I think Thinking back to grieving for my first wife, I only actually cried twice, and that wasn't in public. If you look in southern Europe, people express their emotions. It's fine to grieve. So so the, the example I use is the UK and Italy. Italy has, we have half again as many suicides, and we use half again as many antidepressants. Why is that? Italians, how can you tell the difference? You, you've got two people in the distance. One's Italian and the other's Brit. It's obvious. The Italian's waving his arms. He's expressing how he feels. And and it's fine to express how you feel in, in south of Europe. But in the north of Europe, because of our history, we've got this stiff upper lip. And, you know, male suicide, we've spoke briefly about that before we came here that that was viewed in the days of the raj the british empire they had a w- name for it the gentleman's way out it was called the gentleman's way out and see, so we've inherited that as a concept that it's best rather than accept the shame of whatever it is you're trying to accept the shame for to to take that as a way out which is a tragedy of monumental proportions
0: so it's so not only is it a a a problem for men but it's very much a problem for UK men because of because of our culture basically
4: relatively speaking yeah yes
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense that does make a lot of sense to me and so how would mindfulness um reprogram the the angry male brain
4: okay so thanks for bringing me back to the original question
0: (laughs) (laughs) no it's good it's good you know we've got plenty of time we've got plenty of time
4: yeah good feel free to edit that out okay (laughs)
2: the
4: angry male brain the anger never goes away completely but you become aware of it so the way that it works is this, you get, you, you're not going to learn to intervene in your anger in any very useful way very quickly because you have to train yourself to respond. And the way to train yourself to respond is to become aware of it as soon as you can become aware of it. So let's say I get up in the morning, journey to work, white van driver, they've made me angry, I. At some point in the day, I became become aware that I've still got this little residue of anger. What I need is a technique that neutralizes that. And so let's say that's at like half past five in the day. So I've been carrying this burden of resentment towards the white van driver throughout my entire day. If I keep doing that, what will happen is it'll become more automatic because the more regularly that we repeat something, the more deeply embedded it becomes in our behaviors we're trying to replace our behaviors not our thoughts or beliefs or anything like that and so you have this behavior that neutralizes how you feel your body and your brain then has a way out of how it feels and so the end result is that you become aware closer and closer and closer to the point at which you originally lost lose your temper so At some point, you'll become aware of your anger pretty soon after the incident. And then one fine day, you'll start getting angry. You'll become aware that you're angry. The technique that you've used to neutralize the residual anger, that'll help you to intervene in your anger at that point. And then even better, at some other point, you're aware that something's happening that's going to cause you traditionally to be angry and you're monitoring your physiology and your emotions, waiting for it to happen and it doesn't.
0: So it becomes a habit. Yeah, it, it becomes,
4: yeah we, we need to, we need to retrain, retrain our physiology because, so this, this, this is the, let's say there's an event that causes an emotional response. The first thing that happens is a physiology response, which very, very quick, 100 milliseconds. So, this is why, let's say you, let's say we walked out of here and you met the person you last wanted to see in the entire world. I can see you both rolling your eyes. (laughs) Uh, Your body's going to respond straight away. There's going to be tight tension. There'll be, and then there's whatever emotion there is. That's 350 milliseconds. And you're able to think about it or six seconds afterwards if you're able to think because if your stress is high enough there's not it, it, it clears your memory clears the working memory that, that our our system as human beings is designed under stress for our instincts to take over for survival and a thinking human being is often the most useless thing in the world if it's a survival experience you just need to act. So if, it's, if I'm walking through the jungle and there's a saber-toothed tiger, I don't start thinking about it. My, I want my body to move up a thousand miles an hour to get out of the way. So we, we need to reprogram our physiology to be able to intervene with a physical response, and, and that's the way to do it. Start baby steps, do it after the fact, because you're not going to be able to intervene straight away. And then your your physiology it will have a tool. It's a little bit like learning to catch a ball. You know, you don't go and learn to catch a ball in a cricket match. You somebody throws you the ball, you catch it. Sometimes you don't catch it. Others you train, you train, you train. And then when you're in the cricket match, you catch the ball. It's the training.
0: Yeah, and it's the mo- it's the modern it's the modern way of life, isn't it? I, I guess that that um that is really sort of oppressive it, in the sense that, you know, you talk about, you know, being in the jungle, survival you know, as, as c- cavemen and women, you know, we, we, all we had to worry about is the next meal and keeping warm and, and that's about it really, isn't it? And, flight or flight. Uh, and, and, you know, and not getting eaten. And, you know, a lot of those, those primal senses have, have been suppressed and, you know, we live in this cerebral world where everything's about the brain, we're overloaded with information and that is at odds with our body isn't it you know and that's it, yeah. uh, you know that's i Absolutely. guess that's what is what mindfulness is trying to reconnect our minds and our bodies together yeah. yeah
4: we we have to we have to be
3: we have to be clear about what mindfulness is yeah um the
4: media doesn't do a pretty particularly good job of clarifying it
0: so oh, okay you're going to give us a
1: definition here yeah i'm,
4: yeah, I'm going to explain I'll, I'll give you an explanation, okay? So that something see if that we you actually understand what we're talking about yeah, when yeah. we talk about mindfulness. You'll also get to experience it when I get my ten-minute meditation yeah. slot, okay? Or, or at least get as, as much of an insight into it as you can. Yeah. When your cat's walking across the lawn, right? Yeah. It looks pretty chilled, doesn't it? Yeah. It's chilled. Chilled, is relaxed. Yep. It's strolling. If there's a movement somewhere that it's not expecting it. In a flash, it's frozen, important to recognize that response, the freeze response. We talk about fight and flight all the time. Freeze is a big part of fight, flight, freeze response. Whether it's a predator or prey that's attracted its attention, it's going to freeze. So this is both a prey and a predator response. And it is facing where the noise came from. So what's actually happening there is it is absorbing all of the information, audio and visual information and what it can smell and what it's looking for is anything that's a potential threat. We have that all the time, it's, it's a sentinel mode. So when our ancestors walked through the jungle, they're not creeping from tree to tree in fear that there might be a predator. <clears throat> they're walking through the jungle and they're allowing the
3: experience of the jungle, every sound, every smell, every movement, the direction of the air,
4: it's, it's, it's all streaming in. And they're in a relaxed state, it's a sentinel mode. That's mindfulness. It's part of our legacy as human beings, but what actually happens is that 21st century intervenes at an early age, and then fills our head with a narrative that never stops, and that we never get to experience it. So what we're doing here is unlearning what we've learned. That's, what mindful, that's the mindfulness training, the meditation is the training, if it's mindfulness meditation, is the training to recover that experience. It's
1: like a reprogramming of the brain, but it's a full reprogram, isn't it? Yeah. Like a rebooting of the computer. Yeah. Is, yeah.
0: It, is there a, like a, um, I know there are like sort of several strands of mindfulness and meditation. You've got your Zen stuff and then you've got your more, you know, your your your, your, more, your, your more modern sort of quirky ones and things yeah. like that. Is there anything, uh, is there any sort of strand that you adhere to? Is there is there a lineage? I know you spoke about, Kung Fu, and, and you know, I did Wing oh, Chun, yeah. actually, for oh, yeah. three years. But, um, yeah, go on.
4: Yeah, I, I did Shaolin Fists. Okay. Um, yeah. okay well, there you go. Watch out for it. Yes, mate. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. He plays on the other side of the table. Don't say anything inappropriate.
4: <laughs> we, we, we were really cool. We, we trained in Covent Garden. Oh, wow. Yeah. At Pineapple Studios. Oh, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> almost as cool as this building. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: yeah, go on.
4: Um, so if meditation is the size of this room, then mindfulness meditation is the size of my fist. Let's say you go onto YouTube, all of the, all of the, so type in meditation and generally speaking, what you'll get is what I call a leisure meditation. So these, some of these things have had like hundreds of millions of views and it's a kind of adult bedtime story that people listen to, to make themselves feel relaxed. So the vast majority of meditation isn't, isn't anything to do with mindfulness. It's very important to make that distinction.
1: So is that not like the um, guided meditation? That's it, yeah. So
4: that what, yeah. They're, they're, that's it, spot on. So they, they tend to be guided and they tend to be visualizations. Uh, and there's nothing essentially wrong with visualizations except for the fact that a lot, large part of the population can't visualize. So you're excluding them if, if that's your focus. Mindfulness meditations train you to become aware of the
3: present moment. And why do you want to do that? The reason for that is because of choice. There's two things. One is choice is an unconscious process.
4: Yeah. Uh, there are many, many examples, but you think of the, the three things that are biggest choices in your life. Generally, for most people, it's a house, a car, and a significant other. What cognitive processes were in place? What, what dis- sensible decisions did you make about the significant other? Generally, none. Right? They're the one. Click. Where did that come from? Same with a car. Back in the day, they'd sell cars and you'd get a feature list. Now, car adverts don't tell you anything about the car. They've just got these ridiculously attractive people on a road with no traffic, M- maybe driving along a beach with big waves of water. It's just there to attract you emotionally. So
3: the, the end result of all of this is that the subconscious gets to choose.
4: Let's say your mind's wandering, let's say you're on autopilot, a lot of the choices that you're making during your day are unconscious and that's not a helpful place to be. You want to be aware of the choices that you're making so that you can test them, so that you can validate them. So choice only happens when you're here in the present moment. If your mind's
3: wandering to the past, yeah, you. Know, you have you, have you ever had this experience? Why am I at the fridge?
4: Yes.
1: <laughs> Guilty. Or
4: you go from one room to the other, get to the other room, I've forgotten why while you're there.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, I do that. I mean, yeah, that's the autopilot thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I, 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 do, I do that all the time. I often, you know, especially like we were talking a bit earlier about, you know, the um, sort of social media thing, you know, like, your your initial thing is something really important, like I need to book a plane ticket for tomorrow. Like this is really important. You're on there, like an hour later, you know, looking at like people's <laughs> dinner and stuff like that. You think, hold on, <laughs> why was I on the internet? You know, yes. and it's that it's yes. yeah, it's that quagmire, isn't it? You know, yeah. so
2: true, yeah, so true.
4: So you now there's no, it's not a bad thing, mind wandering, but you want to have the choice. Oh, ideally, you'd want some process to pop into your mind to help you to become aware that you found your way into a pointless viral news feed consisting of kittens, <laughs> ridiculous little videos uh, that 110 million people have watched and people's lunch. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. If
4: anybody had told us 20 years ago that yeah. we would spend a lot of time seeing what everybody else eats we'd have all laughed, wouldn't we? Oh,
0: God, there's a lot of things you could say. <laughs> say, yeah, just, yeah. Time, Times have changed a yeah,
4: lot. Yeah, so we, we want to be aware. Yeah. We, and, and especially if it's an unhelpful thought pattern that's taken over, an unhelpful narrative. That's the ones we want to be aware of. And the way that it works is quite selective. So mindfulness, once you've trained yourself to become aware that your mind's wandering, it does a good job of selecting on its own the points at which actually I don't want to go any further down this road of thought. It's a pointless exercise. And I instead I want to do what I want to do or change my context, go for a walk, sit down if I'm standing up, stand up if I'm sitting down, do something to change my state rather than continuing through in in the thought processes and in the emotions that I'm feeling now. So we get to intervene in them.
0: So because 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 it's me and Tommy. I mean, I mean, you must get a lot of different people coming to see you. You know, from different walks of life, people that have had, you know, maybe post traumatic stress or bipolar or something like that. But my yeah. personal thing is anxiety and panic, panic attacks. Tommy's is, is is depression. How would you? How would mindfulness um, help people with our specific? Um, Problem, mental health problems. Could, could, could you give us a little bit of an insight into into those things? At all?
4: Yeah, every course I teach, I get people who've been referred to me by therapists, counsellors, and mental health practitioners. So if you take the most common form of talking therapy, which is CBT, it consists of a lot of techniques. And so the CBT practitioner will teach people techniques to help them to intervene in whatever it might happen to be. Before you can intervene in what's happening in your present moment experience, you have to be aware of it so that you engage with the practice. And so what that means is becoming aware, mindfulness itself is complementary to just about every other therapy because it allows you to become aware enough to, ah, right. My mind is doing this. I'm thinking that I'm feeling like this. I I want to use this practice. Uh,
3: So that's hugely beneficial in depression. There's a a strand of, there's a thing called mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which, is
4: successful in a lot of cases at helping people who have recurrent depression. So I, I, if, I, if I get a highly depressed student, I'll refer them to a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy uh, practitioner. Most, most meditation and mindfulness benefits at the level of anxiety. And of course, many depressed people are also anxious. So depending on the, the state of their depression, where they are with it, if they can engage in the practices and maintain them for a long enough period of time, then that will help them to resolve their anxiety. Uh, it, it, I mean, anxiety is part of modern life. Think about this one. We're designed to live in nature, generally in the same environment, with a group of between 20 and 40 people for our entire life. Okay, what, what do you not see? You, you don't see a city of 8 million anonymous strangers. So if you don't experience anxiety at some level or another, you're not in touch with yourself. Because our genetic programming is for us to be suspicious of strangers and to treat them as Potentially hostile, potential threats. And that's got all sorts of ramifications for society at a huge level, but that's part of our genetic makeup. Now we can, we can overcome that, but the anxiety, you know, you go, you go his, his anxiety inducing experience
3: is commuting, <laughs> shopping, working, you know, traveling. That's a lot of, a lot of people's lives. And, and it's doing it for a reason. Your, your,
4: your brain, visually and auditory, is scanning your environment and there are hostile people out there. So you'll encounter them and you'll be processing that somehow over the course of the day. And if that doesn't lead to anxiety, then you're not really in touch with yourself. So it's, it's there. It's a background thing. It's a consequence of living in the 21st century. But what we want, it to, what we want to do is for our, psychological and physiological response to be in proportion to the potential threat we don't want an improportionate response so we don't it's not helpful for our happiness for us to be overwhelmed emotionally by something that we we are aware doesn't justify that emotional response so it's all about over a period of time becoming aware of our emotional and physiological response and using various practices to help to bring it into balance
0: what, what would you like to see um more of in in this country i mean obviously you'd you know you'd like to see more mindfulness more more meditation done by everyone but what do you think is could could could, could really help uh, society and do you think we're getting worse do you think sort of You know, do you think it's we're we're becoming because we're seeing a lot more um, publicity for mental health problems and and that, you know, is it becoming like a a harder place to live the world? Do you think?
4: Yeah, because we're moving away from if you say you look at that environment, there's the ideal environment, living in nature, 20 to 40 other people deeply connected. You think about that. So I've done a bit of research into hunter gatherers. Uh, you know, th- th- here's a here's a thing. There are no walls. There are no walls. There are no lies. There are no lies. You trust everybody, so you're you've got a group that you trust with your life, and and you're deeply connected to other people. You're deeply connected to your physiology because there's nothing intervening. You're di- connected to your mind. You're connected to nature. Fast forward to London in the twenty first century. That disconnection is the root cause of our suffering. Uh, and I, an acknowledgement of that that is clear instead of a lot of the fuzziness that we encounter would be the single most useful thing. And then from that stems the acknowledgement that of course you're anxious, of course you're stressed, of course there's a narrative that's unhelpful running in your head because this is a cultural legacy. Let's accept that. And, let's, and this isn't just about individuals who are diagnosed with mental health issues. This is about our entire society.
3: We need to reconnect with our humanity. And so if you take meditation, for example,
4: it's a life-enhancing, performance-enhancing practice. There's a great book by a guy called Tim Ferriss called Tools of Titans. Have we you read it?
1: First. I've not read that one, but I do yeah. like him. I listen to his podcast, yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, so what he did is he interviewed 100 wildly successful people in America. You won't have heard of a lot of them, uh, but in there is people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Laird Hamilton, world's greatest surfer. 20 of them were billionaires. All of the others really loaded in the public eye, all this kind of stuff. And he
3: wanted to discover the practices and techniques that they had adopted so that he
4: could pass those on. What time do they get up? What do they eat for breakfast? All this kind of stuff. Right at the front of the book, helpfully, he summarizes it all. And the most common one is that 80% of them had mindfulness or meditation practices. So, you know, most of the men listening to this will be curious about their mental experience. When I go and teach in the city, it's a macho work, work culture. And the first thing I have to have overcome is this resistance. And part of the resistance is the
3: belief, un, unhelpful belief, that meditation is a mental
2: health, a mental health-focused activity
4: whereas actually what it is is a life enhancement activity that also benefits people's mental health. You
2: know well, what?
1: sorry. Go on, no, go on. There is some good news on that because um, I was going to say this earlier. I've touched on a few things, but um, you said, you know, what would you like to happen, what would you like to change? There was just on the news recently yeah. that 370 schools across the UK are going to now introduce mindfulness in, you know, the like young, for young starters in the schools. So there's a report and you know, I meant to send it to you, which I didn't, I uh, forgive me. So, you know, it's, um, it's happening and we are realizing that it's key to, th- you know, cause we say that we teach people taxes, algebra, you know, trigonometry. We don't teach people how to be happy. Yes. And it's so key it is so so key
0: well i've been working with the mindfulness in schools project who is a one of the biggest in the country that do that and uh, the founder of that will get him in yes we'll get him in yeah because he'll come in happen. he'll come in and do mm-hmm. that but um now i, I realize now we're, we're about 48 minutes in these normally run for about 50 minutes to an hour so um we need to uh, we need to get because this He's is got the got be- a lot of
1: good stuff though, is isn't it yeah, yeah we, could go, we could go we could go on for maybe maybe
0: we'll get you back in again yeah, I think um so. um but we need to um uh we we as promised we 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 did say that we were going to do an actual live session um so um before before we do that um let's just make sure that uh everyone knows how they can uh, again, you know, contact Robert and, and come to any of his classes and that is a do you I mean, yeah, do you wanna give us the sort of website sort of stuff and do you remember the, it?
4: The the easiest thing is just to go to Google and type in Bromley Mindfulness. There you really go. Mindfulness. simple keep it nice yeah. and simple nice. yeah mindfulness. yeah, but yeah. I, but, I'll come come up straight away
0: but I highly recommend um going to one of these classes because like because like Robert says and I totally agree it's great doing it at home on your own listening to stuff but the power of being in a room with uh with with a bunch of people is it's manifest isn't it it really does um yeah. add
1: add add to the experience so um so yeah. we're gonna we're gonna I'll oh, go on before we uh, do get into this, we need to say thank you to the LCCM. Oh, did we not do that again? We didn't do it again. Oh
0: god. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Um, sorry, LCCM. Thank you very much for for letting us use your. We're getting complacent. LCCM, aren't we? the London College of the Creative, Creative Media. Media. Yeah. Thank you for letting us do that, and thank you for uh, listening, everyone. So we're gonna. Um, we're going to go out. So we're going to put our mics down (laughs) and listeners, I want you to get, get yourself nice and comfortable, sit on a nice comfortable chair and, um, over to you, Robert.
3: Thanks very much, Andy. Thanks Tommy for inviting me. Okay. So the best way to learn
4: to meditate is by not learning to meditate. The reason for that is you'll be bringing a lot of baggage to it. Best way to learn to meditate is, is by doing what I call the meditation of no meditation. And what that consists of, it's just a listening exercise. So this is basically what we're doing all the time. Our body's doing this from, in fact, it's doing it 24 hours. So it, what we're doing is plugging into something that's part of our experience.
3: And to do this, all you need to do is sit comfortably and listen, but in a very specific way. So the modern mind,
4: what it has a tendency to do is to identify a sound and then it will just focus on that sound. That can be an unhelpful sound, so it can be an irritating sound and it will still just stay focused on that. But what we're
3: doing here is stepping back from that and allowing ourselves to be aware of all sound. And the way to do that is by listening for the next
2: sound. And what you'll notice is whatever sounds there are. Being in
4: a city of 8 million people, there's generally sounds, there's airplanes, there's traffic, there's people in the building that you're in, there might be people in the same room. There's, there's, all, there's a rich environment of sound. And what we do is wait for the next sound. When we become aware of it, don't worry, the brain will dismiss it unless it's a threat or unless it's something that's like somebody calling your name
3: or something that you need to attend to directly, your brain just drops it. Just listening for the next sound. For example, in here in the background, you may be able to hear it. There is some music playing.
4: Modern mind will just focus on the music and maybe become irritated by it. What we do is step back. We notice ourselves sitting. And we're just waiting for whatever the next sound might be, bearing
3: in mind it could be anywhere. It could be in front of us, behind us, left
2: and right, to either side. And if you're in a quiet environment,
3: you can still be waiting for the next sound. In the same way that when you're waiting for a bus, there doesn't have to be a bus there. So when you're waiting for a sound,
2: there doesn't have to be a sound there. And there's no instructions with this. So there's no goal, no expectations. You can't get it wrong. It's just listening. And for 95% of people, this is an almost universally frictionless experience. But very specifically, there's no goal. We're not trying to achieve anything. And notice
3: you can be listening to me and at the same time,
2: As you're hearing my voice, you're waiting for the next sound. Of course, the other thing that's happening is the sound of my voice,
3: which is just a collection of words. So in the same way that you're listening for the next sound,
2: you can be listening for the next word. And then, of course, in your mind, there's your inner dialogue. So there's sounds, my words, your thoughts. And it all adds up to the experience of the present moment. It's like a hubbub. Mixture sounds, words, and thoughts. And then there's something else that's happening all the time that you're not aware of, which is a movement in the belly just at the point where the belly meets the chest. So if you place your tongue gently up against the back
3: of your top teeth, you'll find yourself breathing
2: in and out through your nostrils. And you'll also breathe more deeply, thing called diaphragmatic breathing. And this practice, all we're doing is noticing that movement, tiny movement of the belly. Belly rising, belly falling. And again, no goal, no expectations.
4: No right or wrong way to do this. Doesn't matter what's happening in the mind. Doesn't matter how busy it is,
2: critical of the experience. None of that matters. Just noticing that happening, that tiny movement. Noticing the belly rising. Noticing the belly falling, and so there we are. We're at, we're in our present moment. It's a tiny
3: little sliver of time our awareness, our experience of the
2: internal and the external. It's a hubbub. Sounds, words, thoughts. So once you've found this, it becomes accessible from pretty much anywhere at any time. Welcome to the present moment. So the thing to do now is just let your mind go free. think what it wants, go wherever it wants.
3: And then whenever you're ready, in your very own time, noticing whatever it is you can smell and taste and the sensation of experience of sitting
2: or standing or wherever you happen to be, gently return your attention to your surroundings. There's a load of smiling going on in here.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, everyone.
2: We'll speak to you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)